everyone. Welcome to Peak Community Church. Our scripture this morning is from Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and verses 8 through 10. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham, this is verse eight, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundation, whose architect and builder is God. I want to read a few more verses from this chapter, actually. When I originally chose these, I... Uh, should have kept going. Verse 11, by faith he received power of procreation even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren because he considered himself faithful who had promised. Therefore from one person, this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13, now uh, the author of Hebrew, Hebrews is now kind of summing up several people here. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a seed we ask you to plant it deep into our hearts. May it find good soil. May it be nourished, may it grow. May it take root and bear fruit, not only for ourselves, but for all. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We're in a series on uh, church history, and specifically we're talking about um, examples of the church through, through time. We're talking about Christian communities and the faithfulness of these communities over generations, um, and sometimes the faithlessness of these communities. The reason I have done this, I've done this once before, the reason we're doing it again, 
is because I want us to understand what is possible for us as Christians. What is, what is possible for us to do? What are the ways that we could be Christian together? A lot of times, what we've seen in this series so far, and we're going to continue to see, is that Christians have a way of being Christian that is tangential to expectations, tangential to what we see in the rest of the world. Christian faithfulness is sometimes bigger than even what we see today. It's easy to criticize the church, point out our failings, and I'm better at it than I think most. Um, But I also think it's easy to sit back and criticize without talking about what we could be doing and without getting our hands dirty, without getting involved and without really seeing what's going on and, and, and investing our lives and investing ourselves. So instead of just critiquing the church, I'd rather look and see what's possible. Besides, it's, we don't need ourselves to critique the church. We have other people critiquing us for us. And frankly, we should be listening to these critiques. We should be paying attention. We have nothing to lose by doing so. One of the critiques right now is, it's not that Christians are too passionate about life, it's that we're not passionate enough about life. When we pick one area of life and we hyper-focus on that to the exclusion of other areas, people call that out as a scam, a sham. We're being fakes, something like that. When we put more emphasis on one form of life than another, they say, I wonder if there's an ulterior motive here. I wonder if there's something else going on. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned someone named Basil of Caesarea. This guy lived 1,600 years ago. He and his crew were roaming trash heaps, looking for abandoned infants to save. He very often hung up his bishop's outfit and donned an apron to care for lepers, to bind up their wounds. He sold his family's lands just so he could buy apartments for the poor. And then in his spare time, he was developing and defending the doctrine of the Trinity. That's what's possible. That's what's possible. This congregation here, if you're not too familiar with it, has always sort of sat on the edge of what everyone else is doing. We've never been squarely at the center of everything. So within Christianity, for instance, we've always been a little bit on the edge. For instance, um, you know, in this town, we're, we're the only congregation, our little congregation, the only one that's a part of the two main church groups in town, the Interfaith Council and the Fort Collins Church Network. We're in downtown, but we're on the edge of downtown. We're right at the heart of Fort Collins, and yet a lot of people we interact with feel like they're on the margins of Fort Collins. 
even within our congregations, we have this congregation, we have disagreement about things. We vote differently. We have different opinions on social issues. And sometimes we think of that as a weakness, as a sort of fatal flaw that might break us apart. But I see it as a strength. I see it as a strength because it means that we recognize that following Jesus does not fit neatly into whatever might be popular and whatever's going on. It means we recognize that we really are still like Abraham and these people of faith that I just read about who are on their way, strangers and exiles from home. We see the promise, but we don't fully receive it. And we come here and remind ourselves of that every single Sunday. We must continue to walk by faith and not think we can build God's kingdom ourselves. We must not think that God's kingdom can be brought down by anything like a court ruling or an elected official or, well, you can imagine. This is why it seems to me that the most important thing we could be doing is thinking about a group of Christians who lived 1,500 years ago in the corner of Europe, the northwest corner of Europe, called Ireland, a people called the Celts. If there's one word that sums up the Christianity of the Celts, it's this word, this is a Latin word, peregrinatio. Peregrinatio. You might recognize that as the word that we get peregrine from. And it means pilgrimage. But pilgrimage maybe not in the way we normally think of it. A lot of times we think of pilgrimage as, as a sort of um, holy kind of vacation. You know, we're, we're going to a holy site. Um, so one of the major pilgrimages spots in North America is just south of here in Chimayo, New Mexico. Thousands and thousands of people go there every year. Um, that's a pilgrimage site. That's not exactly what the Celts had in mind. For the Celts, it was something else. Let me give you an example. There's a story recorded in the 900s in Wales when these three Irish guys washed up on the shore in something called a coracle. A coracle is a pretty odd boat. It's a boat without a rudder and a boat without oars. So usually they're just round. They look like a big bowl in the water. And you don't steer it. It just sort of takes you somewhere. And so these three monks washed up on the shore in Wales, and uh, some people found them and brought them over to uh, the king, King Alfred at the time. And king Alfred said, uh, what are you doing? How did you get here? What is going on? And they answered, we stole away because we wanted for the love of God to be on pilgrimage. We cared not where. So that's the image. A couple monks in an absurd little boat drifting in the sea. Let me give you a little background on their idea of pilgrimage. This will help fill it in. Um, the Irish were not the wandering type. 
These were people who loved community, who loved their clans, who loved being at home and were very comfortable in family and communities. They were not the wandering type. They didn't go for hikes or strolls into the wilderness, and they certainly didn't want to get into a boat and wander around that way. When one of the most famous Irish um, monks lands in a little um, weathered island in Scotland, uh, he sits down on the coast, looks back towards Ireland, and grieves for the oaks of Derry. He misses them so much. So that it was not in their blood to wander. The stories of the Desert Fathers were deeply influential to these people. We talked about the Desert Fathers last week. And they read these stories with a lot of fascination, except they had one problem. There's no desert. No desert in Ireland. And so their desert was the sea. And famously, the man who brought Christianity to Ireland, a man named St. Patrick, was a traveler. He wasn't Irish. He was from England, uh, actually probably Wales. He was brought into slavery into Ireland, was there for about six years, escaped, went back, and then he felt like God was calling him back to Ireland to bring the gospel. And so the guy who, who, who brought them hope and life was a traveler. And so traveler, traveling from the very beginning was a part of what it meant to love God. So it became the thing to do, to go on pilgrimage, to be, to, to, uh, to be a peregrini, what they call it. Uh, this is from one of, their, one of their poems from the time. Um, a cura, cura is another name for a coracle. So, in scores of curas with an army of wretches, he crossed the long-haired sea. He crossed the wave-strewn wild region, foam-flecked, seal-filled, savage, bounding, seething, white-tipped, pleasing, doleful. I love that, the white-haired, the, the long-haired sea. So they're really into this thing called peregrinatio or pilgrimage. So what is it? Um, as I said, it wasn't in their blood and it's not a trip to a holy site. It's also not aimlessly wandering. There actually was a destination that they had in mind. They just weren't always clear on what that destination was. They referred to it as the place of one's resurrection. For Columba, it was that little island off of Scotland called Iona. It was the place where he came to rest in God, to find his home, his heart, and all of his passions satisfied in God. That's the place of resurrection. That is a picture of heaven. Abraham had a huge influence on these Celtic wanderers. He knew he had been called away from all that was familiar. But to what? I mean, there he is in this place called Ur, with his family, his kindred, everything he know, knew, all that was familiar. Imagine this for yourself. Imagine you're in a place where you understand everything and everything makes sense. And then God calls you away and doesn't tell you where you're going. That's what happened to Abraham. But he, get, he set out, believing that God would show him where to go. He obeyed. And Abraham didn't actually wander forever, 
but he also didn't know exactly where he was going to end up until he was there. He perfectly lived out a life of faith. Now, when I say perfectly, I don't mean he made all the right decisions. I mean that he followed God along the way. He trusted God along the way. This life of the stranger and the exile. He was never completely at home here, but he was also on his way to a home. He was greeting it, coming up on it, getting nearer and nearer throughout his life so that death, when death came, it was only just one more step into heaven. That's how close he got. So we're talking 500 years of history for the Celts before they were invaded by the Normans in the 900s. And through that time, scores of Christians climbed into these boats and bumped around the sea. A lot of them actually died. Some of them didn't. Some of them actually went into Europe and ended up having a major influence on Christianity in all of Europe, down even into Rome. But this pilgrimage thing got pretty popular. And so it ended up being critiqued after a while. Um, they even had a derogatory name they'd give to these uh, wandering monks. They'd call them gyrobags. Such a fun word to say. Um, gyro bags. They were just kind of spinning around, and, you know. And uh, and then there came to be a saying that was often associated with them, which is that um, if you go wandering in search of Christ, you won't find him unless you bring him there with you in your heart. So the idea of peregrinatio, of pilgrimage, ended up being in the hearts of the people who never actually went very far, who didn't get into the boat but it was still deeply important to them. They saw that all of life was a pilgrimage. Home would only be with God in heaven, not here on earth. It wasn't for Abraham and Sarah. It wasn't for Jesus who returned to the Father at the ascension. And home will always be ahead of us, not here, not now. That doesn't mean that life now is a pointless delay for heaven, a frustrating waiting period. Life here does have a purpose, but the purpose is this, it's the way. It's the way. It's the way we get there. Um, one famous monk in a sermon of his, he said, human life is not life, it's the way to life. Let me give a couple implications of what this might mean for us. One thing this does is it frees us up to be honest about ourselves and honest about other people. If we haven't arrived and if other people haven't arrived, well, then it just means we're all on the way. Abraham made a whole bunch of mistakes. He's not what you might call a hero. He was, he, he messed up. He um, almost got a pharaoh killed. Um, he uh, was extremely unjust to Hagar and to Hagar's child. Um, there were multiple things that Abraham did long, and yet the story, what it shows us is that God was present to Abraham all along and brought him home. We can be honest about the fact that we're still on the way that we haven't yet arrived, 
And so the Celts were really known for um, deepening this idea of confession, of people being brutally honest about themselves and realizing they need other people. So they grew this idea of, of uh, soul friendship, which was to have a friend in your life that wasn't just a buddy or wasn't just a girlfriend or whatever, but somebody who you bared your soul to and who didn't turn away from you in disgust or shame or condemn you, but somebody who was there to walk with you along the journey. A soul friend. If we stumble, not all is lost. If we make mistakes, we're still on the journey. That's the whole point. But let us never, never, never think that we've arrived. Let us never, ever think that. There's another implication of, of, of what the Celts are talking about, this idea of pilgrimage. It's that we can actually see the world for what it actually is instead of what we want it to be. Everything in our lives is a part of the pilgrimage, but only if we let it be what it is. So for instance, before the gospel came to Ireland, if you had hardship in your life, it was probably because there was a wood sprite, an evil wood sprite who was tormenting you. Ah, why are you doing this? And then the gospel comes and what ends up happening is, is people realize hardship, it's just hardship. And if it is just hardship, God's gonna be able to use this hardship to help you get closer and closer to home. You're gonna make progress, a pilgrim making progress on the way to home. <clears throat> It also helps us to see that the world is not heaven. The world is just the world, and it can be the world. And we don't have to make it heaven. We don't have to turn the world into our idea of what the kingdom of God should be like. It can just exist for what it is. So, I like to think of this church as a coracle. I think of us as climbing into this boat and the seas are somewhat rocky, but we're all in it together. We're all with each other, together. We're crossing this long haired sea. We have not arrived in any sense and we have a long way to go. I would like to see us grow more and more concerned with all forms of life. I think it's a radical, radical thing to say that even the most rudimentary, even the most undeveloped form of life is sacred. That's a powerful thing to say. But nobody's going to listen if we don't care about other forms of life. And it's really hard. Our, our founder said we should care about the life of our enemy. And yet we have Christians rejoicing when we drop bombs. This doesn't fit. This doesn't make sense. But here is the great gift. Is that we're still in the long-haired sea. We're still, the waves are still rocky. We still have a long way to go, and we can say, we have something to learn. We can say, we might need help. We can say, we, have, we need companions on the journey. 
we can say, it's okay to mess up. We're not home yet. Let's keep walking along and let's walk along together. Stay in the coracle. Don't throw yourself into the sea and don't get comfortable on land. Stay in the boat, stay adrift, remain strangers, remain exiles, looking for home like Abraham, walking by faith, longing for the city not made by human hands. In other words, a city that we don't make, but God makes. I'd like to close with this prayer that's from the 800s in Ireland. We have sinned, Lord. We have sinned. Spare us, sinners, and save us. You who guided Noah across the waters of the flood, hear us. And who, by a word, rescued Jonah from the deep, free us. You who stretched out your hand to the to the sinning Peter, the sinking Peter, sorry, the sinking Peter, also sinning, help us. Amen. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the picture of Abraham. Walk with us along the way, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm, and may he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.